part of what AI is going to do for us is that it's going to allow us to do things quicker. The world's going to speed up. That's the raw fact of the matter is, is that things are going to move faster and it's already hard enough to move forward. The opportunities, especially for higher ed marketers moving forward, is going to be figuring out how we can speed up but still differentiate ourselves well enough and get out of the noise of the interstate and figure out how we can go and meander off the super highway to make sure that we are doing things that are getting us noticed. Hey, welcome to the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast on the B Podcast Network. This is a podcast dedicated to helping higher ed marketers tell better stories, create better content, and enroll more students. My name is John Azoni. I'm the founder at Unveiled. We're a video production company working specifically with college marketing teams on automating their student success stories through a subscription approach, and you can learn more at unveiled.tv, uh, and Unveiled is spelled U-N-V-E-I-L-D. Uh, or if you want to chat directly with me, you can find me on LinkedIn or find my contact info on the contact page of our website. Uh, one other housekeeping thing I wanted to mention is that I have started a newsletter. Well, it's really just taking the content that I'm already sending out regularly to my email list and like more like committing to doing it weekly. So I guess I've already been doing a newsletter uh, and if you get emails from me already, like maybe you downloaded the pricing guide or you downloaded the storytelling resource, you're already getting the newsletter. So we're now just we're just labeling this a, a newsletter officially now. Um, so this is just me announcing it officially and giving you the opportunity to subscribe to that content if you're not already. So if you want to create deeper emotional impact with your institution's storytelling and content creation efforts, consider joining the newsletter. Every week I'll be sending out a dose of insights and inspiration, including a link to that week's podcast, case studies, and best practices from other institutions, and tips for creating content that resonates and inspires action. The link to sign up is in the show notes of this episode, or if you catch my posts on LinkedIn, chances are there will be a link in one of those posts uh, and I'll be putting it on my website in some fashion soon here too. So uh, yeah, we're ramping up here on the newsletter. So let's just put it that way. Um, my guest today is Bart Kaler. If you floated around the higher ed marketing sphere for very long, you've probably come across Bart at least once. Bart's the founder of the education marketing agency called Kaler Solutions, as well as the co-host along with uh, Troy Singer of the Higher Ed Marketer podcast. He's also a keynote speaker, as well as a first-generation college student himself. Uh, in this episode, we're talking all about AI, specifically practical ways you can incorporate AI into your workflow to save you time and effort in your job. Um, so keep listening here to learn how BART saves 10 to 15 hours per week using AI, uh, how it's not AI that's going to take your job, it's, it's going to be the people who know how to harness the power of AI that that will take your job. <laughs> the successes and the limitations of various AI applications and where perfectionism can cause you roadblocks. Also learn how higher ed marketers should be early adopters of AI and how higher ed administrators can support the marketing team in those efforts. And a bunch more stuff, including how you can save time on your next trip to Aldi using ChatGPT. So let's dive in. Here's my conversation with Bart Kaler. Bart, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. It's good to be here. Um, so you are the uh, founder of Kaler Solutions, co-host of the Higher Ed Marketer podcast, keynote speaker, AI enthusiast. Did I miss yep. anything? Nope. <laughs> First generation college student. That'd probably be the other thing. Awesome. Um, so 
most people listening to this podcast probably already know you. I feel like I see you everywhere. Um, I feel like every new higher ed marketer I connect with on LinkedIn, uh, I have a mutual connection with, with you, Bart. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but what's one thing that people might not know about you? What would, what's something that people would be surprised to know about you? It might be what I just kind of said at the end was the first generation college student. Uh, my wife and I are both are, are first gen students. And um, it's one of the reasons why I went into higher ed. Uh, you know, I, I had a background in, in corporate, did a lot of work with like Motorola and RCA and, and uh, you know, big brands and um, did my first website in 1997 for college. Uh, my first website was in 94, but my alma mater said, hey, we think this web thing might have some legs. Could you help us with it? And so um, really as I went through my career, you know, between, you know, helping sell Motorola cell phones or RCA televisions or higher ed, I kind of found myself, you know, attracted to feeling good about the end of the day when I was, you know, changing the trajectory of people's lives because of higher education, as opposed to, you know, the latest cell phone, which was going to be, you know, obsolete in six months. And so um, about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I decided to just, you know, focus entirely on higher ed marketing and try to take everything that I've learned in the corporate world and, and apply that to higher ed. Um, you know, and, and because I'm a first gen student, the idea of that being, uh, kind of the motivator for that, because I know the trajectory that my life changed because of that. And so, um, and so that's something that I feel really passionate about. Yeah. Tell me more about that, the being a first gen student, like what was your journey like to going to college? Um, and how did that impact your life? Yeah. So I had, I obviously had some teachers in, in my life that had kind of been talking about that as I, as I grew up. I mean, not having anybody in my family that had, had ever been to college was, you know, it was kind of one of those things, well, you're just going to do this or you're going to do that or, you know, and I'm grateful for my, you know, my family and all that they did and the sacrifices that they made for me. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't know any better. I mean, you know, I lived in Anderson, Indiana, and there was a college in town and there was Ball State University. That's really the the width of what my understanding was. And, you know, I remember in my junior year, you know, some uh, recruiter from the Navy ROTC was there and, and I was like, well, maybe I should do that. And I, I mentioned that to one of my teachers and she was like, no, no, you're going to college. You're not, you're not doing that. You're not going into the military. And uh, not to say that that's bad. I mean, it's, it's a good d direction for a lot of people, but at the same time, um, I think for me, you know, I, I, I really wanted to, uh, to pursue a, a, a degree. I, I was a graphic design major. And, and what was funny as a, as a senior, I was like, well, I'm going to, somebody asked me, what are you going to major? In? I was like, well, right now I'm thinking of, you know, doing graphic design and Bible. And they're like, what in the world are you going to do with that major? <laughs> and looking back at it now, it's like, yeah, that is kind of a unique combination. But I, I did focus on graphic design, um, ended up going to Anderson University. And I was, a you know, was fortunate enough to get a, a, a scholarship to, to kind of cover a lot of my, you know, I was, I was a, probably in a situation where financially, you know, we would qualify for a lot of that type of thing. But, um, but then it just kind of opened my eyes as I got to, to school and started, you know, recognizing, you know, maybe thinking a little bit differently than, than what I knew growing up, um, you know, being challenged in the way that I looked at things, the way that I, you know, really kind of embraced learning. And so mm -hmm. I can even say that, you know, today, a lot of what I'm doing in AI and, and other things, it's, it's this passion of, of learning that, you know, my liberal arts education kind of taught me on being a lifelong learner and, and always knowing that there's more to learn and more to come up with and, and ways to do things. And so even though I was a graphic design major, you know, I, I do 
I don't do that much graphic design today. I'm a business owner and do a lot of business development and consulting for schools. But um, it, I am very grateful for you know my education and, and what that did for me. I almost was a graphic design major. I went to art school and studied painting. But like I remember when I um, I went to like an art school camp, like between my junior and senior year in high school. And that was where I was like graphic design. That's it. Like I, I learned like Photoshop is very early. Photoshop is like 2002 yeah. or something like that. Um, and yeah, that was really interesting to me. Now graphic design, I just use Canva for everything. <laughs> I, I do too. But you know, I, I went to school in the dark ages, John, it was, you know, it was before we had a Mac and it was literally the little square Macs. And that's, that's, yeah. you know, that's what I learned on. And, um, and so, you know, I started my career in 1992 when, you know, the computers were just landing on, on the desks and, you know, nobody knew what the internet was yet. I mean, it was just literally dawning. And, uh, I remember being at a press check one night, uh, uh, you know, I was a print designer and, um, I was on a press check with my boss at the time. And, and I had been going to, my wife was doing a graduate work at Wright State University in Ohio and big, big state school, regional. And, uh, they had their internet connected to their card catalog in the library. And that was the only way you got on the internet back then was, you know, mm. some places like that. And so I would, while she would study, I would go and I would surf and I'd find, you know, sites like NBC.com and I had a Saturn car and Saturn had a website and there was this little bookstore called Amazon that, you know, had some books that I thought was cool. And, you know, that, and I went back and I said, Perfect. Hey, I, th I think that designers and marketers are going to be people that are going to be driving some of this web stuff. I mean, it's not much different than a brochure. And, I was assured that it was just a fad and that it would be going away soon. Um, but then he went out and sold a website. And so I had an opportunity to do a website. I didn't know what I was doing, but figured it out. And, and that's kind of where it started. And again, it goes back to that learning thing. Yeah. And similar parallels here. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the dawn of the internet and people kind of not knowing what was going on with it, what was going to become of it. And uh, AI, you know, today oh, yeah. people, uh, leery of it, excited about it. Um, do you think there's going to be like an AI bubble? Like is, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because I, I have not experienced anything like what we're experiencing today, except back in 1994, when I was first working on the websites, I remember starting to talk to people about the web and saying, Oh, you need a website for your business or your school. I had so many schools say, uh, we're, we're a university. We don't need a, we don't need a website. That's, that's kind of silly. We, we would never do that. And, uh, it's the same way right now with artificial intelligence. It's kind of like, ah, eh, you know, that's a little silly. This, that's not very academic or it's not very, you know, necessary. You know, I, I've been on chat GPT. I, it didn't really return anything very good. And I'm like, uh, you don't understand it yet. And that's the way mm -hmm. it was back in 94. It was like, I don't think you understand it yet. And so even back then when I was doing things, I would go to other websites and I would look at view source and I would see what the code looked like. And if I saw a website that did something cool, I would figure out how it did it and reverse engineer it and, and do that for my designs. And it's the same thing. Now I find myself going to websites that show prompts for mid journey or, or, you know, different graphic programs, or I, I took a certification recently with uh, Vanderbilt university on prompt engineering. And so, you know, getting a certificate in that and, and having some additional uh, training on how to actually put together prompts and the different kind of prompts. I, I was well down the road on that, but that just kind of upped my game and helped me understand a lot more. But yeah, there's a lot of things that I'm using AI for that probably save me 10 to 15 hours a week now. And so it's, it's kind of, uh, 
it is something that's not going to go away. I don't think it's going to be a bubble. I think it's going to be people are going to start figuring it out. Yeah. I'm kind of excited to have you on to talk about this because I feel like I'm in that camp of like, I see the potential of it. I've gotten a lot of great uses out of it. I've also wanted it to do things that it couldn't do. And I'm probably doing something wrong, but I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Right. So, right. And that's so pretty that, typical. I mean, there's nothing to feel bad about that. It's just part of the process. Yeah. So I think this is a good mashup here of uh, emotions surrounding uh, AI. And <laughs> I think maybe a lot of our listeners probably identify with uh, with that feeling of um, seeing the potential, probably having gotten some early success out of it, but like not quite sure how to incorporate well, it into every day. And I think a lot of people, there's there's a level of fear around it too. I mean, there's, there is this fear that, you know, hey, I, I've seen some things, you know, I've seen the, the way people are using graphics. I've seen the, the way people are seeing the writing. I, I'm a writer. Am I going to have a job? And, and mm -hmm. I'm a designer. Am I going to have a job in 20 years, 15 years, 10 years, next year? Um, what I always tell people is that, you know, the, the robots aren't going to take your job. Artificial intelligence isn't going to take your job. It's the people who know how to use the tools that are going to take your job. Mm. That's what you need to worry about is the people that are upskilling and that they're understanding it that are going to become very valuable because they, they can do more and do it more efficiently because they're using what I like to call cobots. They're using collaborative robots to help them with their job. And so these cobots are helping them to do things that, that other people can't do without them or can't do as quickly or as efficiently or as effectively. And so I think the real danger people need to be fear about is getting stuck in their ways and not being willing to adapt and change. Mm -hmm. um, there's a great quote from Alvin Toffler. He, he wrote a book called um, Future Proof in uh, like 1970s. And his quote said that, um, you know, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read or write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. And I think that's where we are right now because, I mean, we like to kind of think, oh, well, we know how to do that. No need to, you know, go forward. But that's where you kind of enter that that realm of what he calls illiteracy is that if you won't, aren't willing to change and, and unlearn what you already think you know and relearn a new way of doing it, that's what's going to be the danger going forward. And I think about that, like, with any, any sort of disruptor, like you're talking about graphic design and Canva, um, you know, I see a lot of uh, traditional graphic designers online that are mad about Canva. They feel like it's taking right. people's jobs and stuff like that. And honestly, like I still hire like I, I almost want to say real graphic designers. I still hire like traditionally, <laughs> you know, traditionally, tra you know, actual graphic designers to to use Canva for me so that I like create templates for me in Canva. So like right. I'll take like a PDF that. Uh, maybe someone designed outside of Canva, I'll hire, um, I'll hire a, another designer on Fiverr or Upwork or something and say, hey, translate this into a Canva template for me. Or, um, or sometimes I'll just say, hey, here's, here's what I need. I need a new proposal um, template, you know, for sending clients proposals, right. design me something that looks cool, but design it in Canva so that I can edit it yeah. later. And I think that, you know, for, for that kind of stuff, like, Graphic designers shouldn't fear that kind of stuff because that is just people, people are coming to the knowledge of being able to do some things themselves, but mm -hmm. they still need help. You know, they yeah. still need someone that knows what, what good looks like. And that's where I struggle. Uh, and I think that's where, um, I think that's where, 
you know, AI is helpful, but may also fall short is you're always going to need people that know what good looks like. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that AI does do a good job of kind of, you know, iterations and, and, and doing a lot of those types of things. But at the end of the day, it cannot be creative. I think Brian Piper was on your show and did a great job of kind of articulating that is that, you know, at the end of the day, AI is a tool. It's, it's another tool in your toolbox. It's a cobot. It's collaborative with you. But, it, but you have got to be, a human has to be creative. A human has to be the one with the ideas. The human has to be the one that has the plan that is putting this in place. You know, artificial intelligence cannot do that, and it never will. It, it'll never be able to, you know, usurp that, that creativity, that human nature that we all have. But I think that the sooner that we can learn that it becomes a, a tool for us as opposed to a threat, that's where it's going to help us kind of get over it. And speaking of Canva, I mean, I had a great episode on the, on the podcast um, with uh, Guy Kawasaki. Yeah. used to be the chief evangelist at Apple computer, right? When they were, you know, the personal computer was coming out and, and he was on the show cause he's now the personal, the chief evangelist at Canva. And he talked a lot about, you know, a lot of those same things you talked about where there's a lot of this, you know, just challenge in this thing about, you know, well, we really need to have the experts and, his analogy was, you know, uh, it's kind of like when the when the Gutenberg press came on, everybody was like, no, you can't do that. You're not the expert in in translating books and scribes and that we can't automate that. We can't have something. And that seems silly to us now, but there's a lot of that same type of thing going on today is just that, you know, the expertise is not in the, the modality of what we're delivering it through. It's it's in the creativity and, and the way that we're actually doing it all at the start. So that, that would be something that I would give some comfort to everybody who's kind of a little bit, you know, maybe fearful or cautious about going forward with it. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, so you sent me a list of things that you use uh, AI for. Um, is it? Yeah. Is it chat GPT that you're using or is it kind of like AI in, in general? So the, the ones that I've used the most, um, chat GPT, I probably know the most about, I know a fair amount of mid, mid journey, which is, you know, you kind of have your different levels. I mean, you've got your artificial intelligence that's kind of copy based. So chat GPT, Claude is another one that's big that I started playing with recently. They just did a, I mean, we're, we're recording this in mid July. They just uh, released their first big announcement that uh, it's actually pretty good. It's it's on the level of chat GPT. And so I've been playing with that a little bit the last couple of days. Um, but so you've got kind of that area that's what I would call kind of your copy based. I mean, you're going to get you're going to ask questions and it's going to come back as copy. It's a chat. Um, then you're going to have the area that I would say is more visual based and, and more, um, you know, design based. And so like mid journey, Dolly, there's another one that's escaping me right now that's more local. Um, but there's, there's going to be kind of this visual aspect that you put a prompt in and it, and it returns back visual graphics and, you know, MidJourney just announced a, a new version that now lets you do zoom out and it can kind of infinitely go further out from your, your graphics. And so I've played a lot with, with MidJourney because I'm a designer by background. So kind of that visual kind of drew me mm -hmm. in. And then there's also AI that's being utilized for, you know, uh, like Synthesia and, uh, I think there's a, I think it's 11, element 11 or something along those lines that you can actually start doing, uh, you know, visual representations, audio representations of voice. So I've actually, you know, trained AI to, you know, know my voice and then you can type in, you know, I think it's uh, 11 labs is the name of it. And you can type in a comment and it will read it back in my voice. And so it'd be like, I basically trained it on one of my podcast episodes. It learned my tone, my voice, everything. And then as I typed in, it would just 
you know, do an audio recording of me as if it were me. And so there's a lot of that kind of thing. That's a little bit more of what, that's where I get concerned about some of the deep fake stuff where, mm-hmm. you know, you can go down and you can start taking people and, and, and turning them into atomic, uh, you know, well, I don't know the word I'm using for, but just an AI version of a yeah, person. Yeah. And so there's kind of that whole level. And then there's certainly levels in, in, uh, you know, video production and, and things like that, that I've, I've kind of played a little bit. I mean, you can do things like, I saw yesterday Wix is coming out with an AI that you can write a prompt to build your website. And mm. so there's just all kinds of ways that this is going to be applied to. And it's not going to be, it's going to be applied to everything. I mean, Microsoft's already rolling out their new version of the Office Suite with, with Copilot, which is basically chat GPT built in. So now you're going to be able to, you know, you don't have to struggle to figure out the the codes for Excel, what the formula is. I mean, you just tell it what you want and it'll build the formula in Excel. So I would say probably within the next six months to 12 months, whether you know it or not, AI is going to be in most of the things that you're using on a daily basis, whether it's Microsoft Word, Google, you know, Sheets and, and Docs. It's going to be living in those things. It's just a matter of whether you're going to be, you know, knowing how to access it and use it. And so it's it's going to just kind of infiltrate into everything that we're doing. And, and a lot of it's going to be invisible, but it's going to just, uh, you know, increase productivity. And and in some ways it might increase just the, the amount of noise that's out there, too. Yeah, it really is in everything. I mean, like every program that I subscribe to right now there's always like a little um, sidebar that comes up. That's like, just introduce AI to this and do this. Yeah. Cool. I mean, the Adobe suite just came out with generative fill for, for Photoshop. And, and I know I just saw some things with Adobe illustrator now has some AI built in as far as being able to do different color palettes. And so, yeah, it's in everything and whether or not you know it or whether or not you're playing with it, it's there and other people are. So quick break here. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a bit now, you've heard all about our video storytelling subscriptions, our annual subscriptions for colleges, where we drip out uh, student and alumni stories and video content to you all year long. Uh, What you may not realize, though, is that it's not subscription or bust. It's not all or nothing. We we do one-off videos all the time. Uh, And one of the things I talk a lot about in this podcast is the power of building a B-roll library and repurposing content. And one of our clients actually decided against hiring us for a full uh, subscription, but instead hired us to do uh, a few videos, just one-offs, a commercial uh, for broadcast, and then two um, student success stories. And just from that one engagement, it was a two-day shoot, Walsh College, Uh, was able to repurpose the heck out of that content, which helped them increase enrollment by over 40% in under a year. Now, this, of course, was not the sole reason for that. Walsh has a great enrollment team, great leadership, which uh, marketing falls under as a piece of that success. But a big driving force was this relentless pursuit of repurposing. And you'll hear more about that in coming episodes. We have a story coming out about Walsh soon. But I wanted to zero in on one thing that a lot of people don't consider when they think of building a B-roll library. It's the opportunity for still images. So while not a permanent substitute for a professional photographer, you can use video clips and pull still images from those, especially with the way that uh, we shoot them, which is uh, 4K, 6K in a lot of cases, which is big. Just if you don't know much about video, it's a high resolution. And here to tell you a little bit more about how Walsh has done that is Tara Weiner, who is a part of a two-person content team at Walsh. 
beforehand, we had very, very few assets. And the assets that we did have were actually quite old. And essentially what the commercial did was it allowed us to have this database of assets to pull from. So uh, screenshots, that's been a massive thing that you don't necessarily think about, but every single video clip has numerous stills that we can take creating slides for uh, funding opportunities, images for social media. I've used images for our info sheets. There's so much footage that you get back that was not used, I, a small fraction was really used in the commercial. And so when you actually get all of the footage back, it's, it's almost shocking how much additional there is for you to work with. It's been a huge transformation in the way that we can market and the way that I can design. So that was Tara. Um, they've done a great job with repurposing uh, this content. It's really remarkable the results they've been able to achieve. So just something to keep in mind uh, as an added benefit to when you hire us, we're gonna give you all the B-roll, even all the project files. Uh, just we really wanna make your life easier um, as a content creator, um, save you time, uh, and help you build a massive library that not only you can use for video purposes, but also for still images and graphics and, and all those things. So if you'd like to talk about a one-off project, head to our website, unveiled.tv, that's U-N-V-E-I-L-D, uh, and reach out to me through the contact page um, and uh, we can chat about that and get you a custom quote. If you want to learn more about our subscriptions, um, you can go to pricing.unveiled.tv and download our free pricing guide, which has everything in it that you'd need to know. All right, so back to my conversation now with Bart Kaler. What are the ways that you use it that makes you save 10 to 15 hours a week? So I'll just hit some of the bullet points and we can go back and dive deeper into any of them, kind of say, hey, I want to know more about that. So HR, admin, legal. Um, I had Jamie Hunt on the uh, podcast. She's the CMO at Old Dominion. And uh, she and I have known each other for a couple of years. She was one of the very first guests on the Higher Ed Marketer podcast. And she's been going way down the rabbit hole with me. And, and she said, you know, I use it for HR. So if I need to come up with questions for an interview. I'll ask ChatGP to give me 10 questions about the, and I'll upload the job description. And, um, or, you know, I've used it where I've had a school that I'm working with doing kind of a fractional CMO role. They wanted me to kind of put together a director of marketing job description. And they had me look at what the HR department had put in. And I really didn't have time. And I just uploaded into ChatGPT and said, tell me where the problems are. And it basically came back and said, okay, the education level is not high enough for a director position and this and this and this. And the thing that really got me was that it was a faith-based institution and it said there was no, there's no mention of any uh, issue about faith on the, on the job description. Ah. And that was like, wow, that's a pretty big deal for a school like that. And to have that get through HR uh, and three other people before it got to me, that alone was worth just the chat GPT review of it. And so uh, I've also had a few people come back to me on some of my contracts are like, Hey, can you change this? Can you make this update? And, um, you know, chat GPT passed the bar at least, you know, version four. And so I threw in my, you know, the amendments or a couple of areas in my contract that it, they wanted to change. And I've just chatted and said, here's what my client wants to do. You know, please make a fair you know, rewrite this in a fair way for me and the client. And so it basically came back and it looked really good. So I copied and pasted it into the contract. And at the, what was funny about that is the end of the day, uh, it was taking a long time. And, um, and finally the president, you know, asked about it 
and uh, said he was a for, he's a he's a lawyer by by training. He said, well, that's one of the best contracts I've ever seen. So I'm not sure why it's <laughs> taking so long. And so it's just funny that a lot of the modifications came from chat GPT. So HR, admin, legal, that's one area. And you could keep going down there. I mean, there's AI tools that are building out you know, ways to figure out your calendar and things like that. But another area that I use it is kind of in proofing and editing. So if I'm designing a, uh, a program sheet for a, a school and uh, what we'll do is we'll take the catalog copy put it into chat GPT and then give it a, a sample of some writing that, that is kind of more casual and more what we want. And then we basically say, take this catalog copy using this style and tone, turn it into a marketing, um, you know, turn it into marketing copy. And then chat GP will do a draft of that. We'll use that as a draft to kind of then rework it and work in some of the more human elements of that. But then also when we get that done, if it's like, Hey, we've got enough room on this uh, front page of this design for, you know, 750 words. And right now we've got 1200 words of copy. I can actually say, rewrite this section of copy to make it fit within 750 words and, and it'll, mm. it'll edit it and rewrite it. And so that's been kind of a really nice way or either, you know, I just have it proof it to say, Hey, proof this and rewrite this for, gr you know, grammatical correct, or take this um, Queens English and turn it into, you know, uh, North American or U U.S. English because they're different, and so you know Canadian versus American uh, versus United States will be different types of ways that they use words. Um, another area is a kind of a virtual assistant. So sometimes I will just kind of uh, jump over to ChatGPT and say, "Hey, I need um, you know take take this and uh, rewrite this, or take these three bullets and write it into three paragraphs." Um, or, you know, things like that, things that I would typically ask an assistant to do to just kind of, you know, hey, I'm looking at this, I need to reorganize this list into, you know, alphabetical order or take all of these ideas and put them in, you know, organize it by, you know, undergrad students, non-traditional students, um, you know, whatever it might be. And so those are some things that I do. Um, ideation is one that I use a lot. It's like, hey, here's three ideas that I have give me 10 more ideas along this line. Mm. And so it might be like, Hey, I need, I, you know, I do a lot of work with faith-based schools and, and churches are kind of like a, a pipeline. And I'm like, okay, a lot of times we don't have relationships with the gatekeepers at these churches. And so how do we build a relationship with the pastor or the youth pastor? It's like, well, here is, um, you know, here's an idea. Let's uh, find out what day the staff meeting is and, and we'll take a box of donuts and just, you know, brand it with the school and just kind of leave a note. That was my prompt that I said, this is an idea that I've had. Give me 10 more ideas like that. And mm -hmm. so it'll, it'll give me ideas along those lines that have kind of more like guerrilla marketing ideas. And so I use it a lot for guerrilla marketing ideas uh, going through. Um, I, I do a lot of reports and sometimes rather than writing a, a 20 page report, I might have the outline with the bullet points and say, you know, and I'll upload my tone and style of samples that I've done. And I'll say, you know, kind of per section match this and have it kind of draft it for me. And then I can edit it. It's a lot easier than, you know, just sitting down for 12 hours and writing the report. I already know what my points are. I've put the bullet points in. I can have it help me kind of craft that message a little bit more based on my tone and style. Um, a lot of drafts, uh, a lot of summaries, like I'll do a lot of videos where I'll just jump into Loom and just do a 15 minute overview of a website and just say, hey, here's some things I see on your website. And I'll just monologue for 15 minutes 
about a, about a school's website, things that need to be improved. And then I throw that video transcript into ChatGPT and say, write a succinct summary and reorganize it based on what I've said and give me bullet points. And it'll write a summary for me on what, what my uh, transcript was as opposed to, you know, just having the transcript. And so I use it a lot for summarizing videos or long form text or reports or PDFs where, you know, I've got a tool called Readly that I have on my phone that every time I come across an article that I want to read, I can throw it into there. And one of the AI tools in Readly is that it basically lets me, it gives me a two paragraph summary about the entire article. And mm. I'll, I'll read that. And it's like, oh, if it's interesting enough, I might go ahead and invest five, 10 minutes in reading the article. But sometimes it's like, okay, I got the, I got the gist of what I wanted out of the article and I can move on. Um, social media production. I, I've just discovered um, Opus Clip that allows you to upload a long form video, like a YouTube link. So I recently yeah. spoke at the uh, Inside Higher Ed conference recently and uh, uploaded the 30 minute uh, presentation that we did. And uh, it basically, you know, analyzes it and comes back with, you know, 10 or 15, you know, vertical format, you yeah. know, 30 to 60 second clips, you know, already done. At least my tests so far have been encouraging with that one um, so that that can speed things up. Sometimes just getting ideas out of my head. I was at a school recently that I had some ideas about ways that they could do some guerrilla marketing. And I went to mid journey and kind of mocked up the idea that I had for this particular event that I wanted to show off. And I was able to kind of have that come out pretty quick, you know, rather than sitting down and sketching out a concept and, and, you know, grabbing my markers and trying to make it look really good. Like I would have done 20 years ago. Uh, you know, I was able to put a prompt in and, have it generate three or four versions. And in 10 minutes, I had the idea that I could put in a presentation to at least communicate the idea. And so that was a fun thing. And then I, the other one that was kind of fun was I was at a, uh, uh, my son is a senior in, in, in high school and he's getting ready to go to university of Cincinnati. And they did a preview day and, you know, it's a, it's a big school. So there were probably 500, you know, students and families, 500 people there at the, at the uh, event. And while we were waiting for it to start, they had, you know, certainly a playlist playing in the background. And so, you know, he's tapping his foot and I'm like, okay, I recognize that that's post Malone or that's Taylor Swift. And then the next song was like Holland Oates. I was like, hmm. okay, wow, that's kind of cool. And then it would go back to, you know, another song by Sean Menendez or something. And then the next one was like, you know, Michael Jackson from, you know, the eighties. And I was like, I see what they're doing. They're, they're playing, you know, songs for mom and dad and for the students. Mm -hmm. And so I went to chat GPT and said, basically, I want to do the same thing, create me a playlist for, you know, eighties and then popular music and then, you know, do it by beats per minute and return it in a table format. And I mean, it was like that. It gave me, you know, 25 songs in that order beats per minute. And it gave me the year release date. I had it, you know, I prompted it to give me exactly what I wanted in the table. And then I could either hand that off to somebody at the school or, you know, take it over to Spotify and just build that playlist. But I mean, it would have taken me a long time and a big team of people to sit around and say, hey, what would be some really good songs for us to put in a playlist? Again, that's another way that it just saves some time because, you know, sometimes I'll even have people say, hey, what's another word for this? Or, or how would you describe this? Or how could we do this? Just using a, a tool like, you know, a cobot like ChatGPT to kind of come and, and help kind of get some of those ideas down um, is a really valuable thing. That's great. So I want to tell you, I mean, there's a lot in there that I want to go back to. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it was just kind of a mind dump. I feel like I opened uh, my mind and just dumped it out. 
Well, here, let's do this. I'll dump for you what I've used it for, and then we can maybe compare notes. Sure. Awesome. <laughs> um, so I've so I've had success using it. I've had I will say I've had probably more success than than not success. Uh, but like the, one of the things I used it for was um, once in a while I take over the grocery shopping for for yeah. my family. Um, and so I'll do the meal plan. We have like a bunch of binders with like meals and recipes mm -hmm. and stuff. So I'll do the meal plan. I'll dump um, a list of ingredients into chat GPT and tell me, uh, tell it, um, organize this by department at Aldi. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, Cause that's my biggest pet peeve or pain with going grocery shopping is like, I'm just like, I don't, I don't have like the brain space to like organize it before I go. So I'm just bouncing all over the grocery. That's smart. <laughs> I like that. That's a really good one. <laughs> Um, so that actually really helped. And I said, and I also put in like, oh, I need, I need some like school snacks for my, for my, um, five and eight year old. Uh, what, what can I get at Aldi for that? And it suggested some things. Um, and so I picked some of those up. So that was, that was really helpful. Um, another one, I, t I did test it out on a, on a creative brief. I didn't use this for a client, but, uh, worked with Baker college here in Michigan, mm -hmm. um, on, uh, some commercials for their nursing program last summer. And I just wanted to see like, because we did a lot of ideating, you know, manually. We had a lot of meetings and uh, we did a lot of concepting for that. And um, I wanted to see, like, could I have sped up that by, like, having it come up with ideas? So I, I put it in there, like, here's here's the problem. Here's um, kind of the, the, the general messaging that they want to communicate. Uh, here's the audience. Um, generate some ideas into uh, a creative brief for me. And it gave me, like, three or four, like, really good ones. Mm -hmm. And then full like full briefs yeah. <laughs> to where like I, I could have just copied and pasted that. Right. And, and like, it would have been believable right. that it came from me. You know, mm -hmm. I was very impressed with that. And I, I would say, and you know, I, that's not something I, I would do. I, I would want to like, you know, massage it a little bit, but just to get the ideas flowing is super helpful for me. Cause like, I have a really hard time ideating just from scratch. Like mm -hmm. uh, I, that's the one thing I struggle with uh, you know, in, um, in video creation is like, okay, here's, you know, come up with ideas for this. And I'm kind of just like, I have to go get some inspiration first. I need, right. I need to look at things that will spark ideas for me. I can't just generate, my brain is not generative. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, uh, so there's that I used it to solve, um, a tech problem with MailChimp. I think it was MailChimp. I was trying to have it do something, um, several months ago. I can't remember what it was. Uh, but, then I went into ChatGPT and said, "Here's the here's the problem I'm having. Um, here's what it's not doing. How how do I fix this?" And it and it gave me step by step, like here's what you do. Right. And I was amazed by that, and it solved the problem. Yep. Yep. Um, another one was uh, yeah, generating code for for my website. I wanted my site to do a certain thing on Squarespace. Didn't do that out of the box. Um, gave me the code. I was impressed by that. It still didn't couldn't get it to work. Right. Um, so that's probably more on me than, the, than I was probably putting it in the wrong, pasting it in the wrong spot of the, you know, the code sure. or something like that. But, um, but I thought that was pretty cool. And then lastly, I've used it to find podcast guests. So, oh. uh, I recently went in, I said, give me 10 influencers in higher ed marketing, um, that, you know, our influencers kind of on LinkedIn or in the higher ed marketing space. It gave me a whole list. So Andrew Castle uh, from Middlebury College, yep. I found him that way. Seth O'Dell was a really popular episode on um, 
from uh, Canahoma, and he used to he used to uh, work with uh, Southern New Hampshire University. Yep. I, I still get people reference like really appreciative of that episode yeah. um, because he talked a lot about how to find good stories to tell. And then Bill Zimmerman from um, uh, Penn State and then subsequently connected me to Jenna Spinelli, who I just released that episode uh, uh, last week. So that's all coming from uh, from AI. And I, it's funny that I'll tell the guests that I found them on AI and they're like so flattered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There is something about that. Cause AI has to, has to use a lot of information to find that. And it's like, and that was three years ago, maybe it's like, Hey, that's really cool. So, yeah. And I try to have it find me. I'm like, I've been on the internet for a long time <laughs> like pre 2021. And I put in like, who is John Azoni? And it's like, I'm an AI model. I don't exactly. know. <laughs> I've, I've done that too. And it can't figure me out like, either, but that's great. On. Oh, that's great at, at least pretend like i'm important <laughs> hallucinate during that part so that'd be yeah great. yeah um so where it's fallen flat for me though is and again i'm probably doing something wrong but for this podcast i would love to take this episode with you um i would like it to generate an accurate transcript because that's one thing mm -hmm. i i love using rev i don't want to pay for using rev so i'm okay with some right. mistakes and uh, Adobe Premiere, it, it'll do an okay job, um, but it, there's a lot of mistakes in Premiere. Right. I find Riverside's a little better, but even it has its own little kinks. Um, I would love for it to generate a more accurate transcript, but then I want it to um, pull out, you know, one minute or less snippets that I can turn into social media posts. I can give those to my editor yeah. um, to save her time in combing through the entire episode to pull out snippets. Yeah. Um, and I know you mentioned opus.clip. Um, I had some, I, I'm kind of like, I see the potential with it, but it was too limiting for me. So like I put in, I think it was Brian, uh, Piper's episode. I, I put in that episode and, uh, and it gave me like 10 or so decent clips and they were pretty close, but the, the problem was like, there was, there needed to be a human element in there mm -hmm. like i needed to go okay you didn't quite get all of that state or you didn't quite understand the context or or whatever it was and i wanted to just edit it a little bit and there was no way to like edit right. it so i was still having to bring it into premiere i'm like that defeats the purpose you yeah. know you might look um, at uh, there's a tool called descript that's really a good one too i don't know if you've used that or not but yeah yeah i've used descript um maybe it's worth another another look too um but and, I, I found it, I found it just as a video editor, I'm like, I, I'm more detailed and I can do things faster. Like I'll do something in Descript and it creates an awkward cut and then I can't like. You can't can unsee that. Yeah I, yeah, I get that. I mean, it's a lot like what designers are dealing with because I mean, I've, I've embraced Canva, but uh, some of my other design friends are like, seriously, you're selling out. I mean, because I mean, they're, yeah. they're Adobe, they're InDesign, they're Illustrator. And I think that that might be part of what you're dealing with too, is that, you know, your premiere, I mean, that's your skill set. That's, that's where you, you live and you've got, you know, maybe a higher standard, which is good. We've got to have those things, but that's where, that's where sometimes I think people are finding challenges is that, you know, some people might say, okay, it's going to get me, it's good enough. And I think that that, that's going to be a question that we're going to have to kind of wrestle with these next couple of years is what's good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people that says, you know, um, perfection is often the enemy of, you know, moving forward and everything. I don't know exactly what the quote is, but I think you know what it is, but the idea that, you know, Hey, I can keep working on things and make it perfect, but I'm going to paralyze myself and I'm never going to actually deliver. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing, John, but I think that that's going to be something we're all going to have to wrestle with. It's like, okay, 
you know what, I'm able to get this out and get it making a difference and maybe even enrollment, but maybe it's not perfect, but is it good enough to move the needle for enrollment? Uh, yeah. Does it meet our brand standards? Is it grammatically correct? Is it this? Is it that? Could we do better? Yeah, we could probably do better, but is it good enough? Yeah, it's good enough. And so, um, you know, and that's, that's where, I mean, that's going to be a challenge that everybody's going to have to figure out on their own. And that's, that's going to be part of what AI is going to do for us is that it's going to allow us to do things quicker. It's going to allow us to do, the world's going to speed up, which is a lot of people don't want to hear that right now, but that's the the raw fact of the matter is, is that things are going to move faster and it's already hard enough to move forward. I think where the, the opportunities, especially for higher ed marketers moving forward, is going to be figuring out how we can speed up, but still differentiate ourselves well enough and get out of the noise of the of the interstate and figure out how we can how we can go and meander off the super highway to make sure that we are you know, doing things that are getting us noticed. Um, yeah, I kind of said a whole lot in that little monologue, but I think there's something that is this nature that everybody feels that, you know, it, it isn't going to be perfect and it isn't going to be exactly the way we want to be, but um, we're going to have to adapt and figure out how to do it. Yeah, that's kind of like the mode I've been in in probably the last six months is like, when I first started posting snippets of this podcast, I would like design them, I'd have a cool lower third for each of the people and uh even played around with like having the school's logo on their their school's logo on it and like all this stuff and then i'm like i'm spending too much time incorporating each episode into this complicated layered template you know in in premiere and i can't get riverside to let me design uh, a right. snippet to that level so over the last six months i've been you probably if you go back through my linkedin you'll notice many iterations of these excerpts that i post that are like simpler and simpler and simpler so right. to now where like the ones i posted of um uh, jenna spinelli last week are just very basic it's just like it's just the clip right <laughs> you know? exactly and uh and i'm kind of just like i think that's okay it's just the clip and it says higher storytelling university at the bottom good enough i know probably linkedin's gonna because then the other thing that would trip me up is um I'd spend all this time like trying to get the captions perfect. And, um, you know, and I, I would let a lot of grammar things slip through because I think that's just typical for like, you just notice all kinds of grammatical. Oh, yeah. Especially when people are just talking, it's different than writing, but you're making that happen. So, yeah. So, but even like, getting them to show up on the right place of the clip, you know, so it's not blocking anyone's face and, all, and getting the right font, all this stuff. And then I was just like, you know what? Like, LinkedIn's just going to generate auto captions anyways right. so let's just let it do that yeah. um, and let the chips fall where, where they may and, and that's what i mean by good enough i mean at the end of the day it's like did you gain two more people stopping to look at the stopping the scroll to look at the video from you know putting the logo in and all the other things probably not Mm -hmm. And and at the end of the day, it's like, well, what what is it worth? And it's hard for us to kind of do that, to make those decisions, to be able to say, OK, yes, if I did a little bit more. But at the end of the day, how much of an impact is that going to really change things moving forward? And, you know, that's a whole another conversation about, you know, are we moving? Is our is our standards of quality going down? And you can go down in a whole discussion about that. But at the same time, we have to really kind of say, what what is the end goal? I mean, you certainly want people to stop and understand and know more about your podcast. Go find out more. Is the logo on this teaser going to make a difference or not? Probably not. It saved you probably, you know, 15 minutes per episode or whatever. 
what else could you do with those 15 minutes that would help you get to the goals that you want of more people listening to your podcast? So, right. And then the other things I think that it's fallen, ChatGPT has fallen short for me is in kind of like the real time analysis of something. Yeah. It just like, there's so many uses for it that it can't do like, it wasn't like pre 2021. So it doesn't right. know. I get so many, like, you know, I'm an AI model and I don't know beyond 2021. So and maybe that's different. I, I was using ChatGPT four for a while. I was paying for it and was still getting a lot of those right. um, those kind of responses. But like, for instance, I would love when guests come on this podcast, I would love to put into ChatGPT. I already know a decent amount about you, but uh, tell me about um, Bart Kaler. Send me like, give me like three or four articles he's written. Um, you know, keynotes he's done or whatever, like give me stuff right. to like to dive into so that the, the guest doesn't have to think about that and, and put, put the work into that. I would love to just show up to an episode and like have already been prepared and it won't, it doesn't know. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's going to change. I mean, keep in mind, we're at the wild west stage of all this. And I think that, um, you know, like Claude too, when I was looking at that, that's the one that I was talking about that just came out this week. It does have its language model up until I think May of this year. And so it's a lot more current and there's a lot more in, in there. And so I think what you're going to find is now that there's more competition out there, you're going to see uh, a lot of things change quickly. And I think, you know, in 18 months, we're going to be having this conversation and saying, oh, isn't it funny to think about back then you couldn't do that or you weren't able to do that. And I think that's one of the things that I want to make sure people understand is that just because maybe you've had a bad experience with it, you know, j don't just kind of write it off and say, uh, it, it's nothing. It's a fad. Um, yeah. no, it's, it's actually going to continue to get better. And the more that you dismiss it and just kind of disengage from it, the harder it's going to be for you to get back onto the on-ramp of it. And so, right. you know, I would say, yeah, it's not perfect. And I, and I don't, and nobody needs to see it as a savior of any kind. I mean, it's not the silver bullet. that's going to help student enrollment. It's not going to do that, but it, you know, for some smaller schools, the idea of being able to have another 10 or 15 hours per week on a group of marketing professionals that don't already have enough time to do enrollment, that could be a big deal for you. And especially with the enrollment cliff coming up, you might need those extra 10 or 15 hours times three or four people. And especially if you're looking at it and saying, okay, I need to work on enrollment marketing things, or I need to do another bookmark for the nursing professor because she asked for one today. Those are the types of things that you can say, okay, maybe I need to look at how to use AI and Canva and set up a template so that they can do it themselves. Or maybe I need to pull in a Fiverr person that can help with that particular thing so that we can focus on enrollment marketing. I think those are the tougher questions that people need to kind of wrestle with to say, how can we use this to actually get to where we need to get to for enrollment to literally save the institution? Because I mean, there's going to be some rough waters ahead with the enrollment cliff that a lot of schools are just now starting to grapple with that. And I think that AI is one of those tools that could actually help facilitate some things so that people can focus on what they need to. Yeah, let's talk about that. Like, so the enrollment cliff and marketers maybe feeling, um, feeling overwhelmed from content creation, uh, feeling like they need to get in front of students that maybe they're <laughs> frantically approaching it, you know, with this enrollment cliff coming and they got all these requests coming from all the different departments and whatever else they're overwhelmed and dealing with. Like, what are some ways that you would advise a stressed out, overwhelmed higher ed marketer uh, to address some of those problems with uh, with ChatGPT or AI? Yeah, one of the things, I mean, first off, you have to kind of stop back and say, okay, 
what are we doing? Um, you know, Ethan Braden uh, from Purdue University was on the podcast and he, he left something with me that really I've used over and over with a lot of schools. It's just the idea of marketing departments can either be um, driven or they can be the drivers. And his example was a short order cook. It's like, okay, if you're a driven marketing department, you're basically a short order cook that's making it look prettier by Monday. And, you know, if you find yourself in that role, you're never going to be beyond that. And you're not going to be able to do the things that are really going to make an impact for your school. You're basically going to just basically be a in-house print shop. Mm -hmm. Or you can be the drivers who are the chefs. You're the ones that are saying, this is what is the best for our institution. This is the kind of marketing that we need to do. You're investing in the time to do the things that are going to make an impact for the institution. And so once you kind of determine where you are, I, I was meeting with a client last week and I'm like, tell me where you guys are on that, on that spectrum. I met with the marketing team and they're like, well, right now we're kind of in the middle of the summer getting ready for next year. We're probably 80% strategic and 20% print shop. So what about on a typical day in the middle of the year? That's eh, 50, 50. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, how can we get rid of that 50, 50 and get that more to continue to be 80, 90, you know, 90, 10 or 80, 20. How can we position ourselves for that for the rest of the year? They're like, well, you're going to have to tell the faculty to start, stop asking for this or that, or this yeah. or that. So then it came, became a discussion that when I went back to, I was doing a consulting, when I went back to the cabinet, I was like, okay, you have an excellent team of people that could actually help you achieve your enrollment goals. But right now they're too busy in the weeds doing things that are not enrollment focused. You have to give them the flexibility, the ability, and the runway to be able to do what they need to do. And that means you provost are going to have to tell your faculty, no. That mm -hmm. means you, president, are going to have to make sure that they are all standing in line and protected because of this. Because if you just don't, if you ignore it, things are just going to go back to the way they always are. And so you've got to make sure that you've got, you know, you've got the support of the administration and the, and the leadership to really say that enrollment marketing is what we need to do and it's where we need to focus our time. Once you have that, then you can kind of start looking at, okay, now how can we use ChatGPT or other artificial intelligence to help us be more efficient, more effective? And, you know, it's, it's a matter of saying, okay, we're getting ready to send out an email as part of our Comflow. We're going to ask it acting as a higher ed marketer, prepare me 15 subject lines that are effective for Generation Z to open. Okay, now all of a sudden I've got 15 options with some emojis that I can say, okay, let's talk about these and see what's going to work best. That's one way to do it as opposed to giving it to a writer and they spend the afternoon coming up with 15 that might mm -hmm. not be exactly as, I mean, you're using a tool that's already went through and identified based on all the stuff that it could find on the internet, the best practices that are actually the most effective for opening you know, opening emails. And so it's things like that, that I think that you've got to kind of start with the big picture to say, okay, are we doing the right things? And then once we are doing the right things, are we doing them the most effectively and efficiently way we can? Yeah, that's great. And I, I feel like that's, that's really where uh, chat GPT and AI shines for me is in um, coming up with like language stuff, like write me headlines. I actually use it in conjunction with another AI tool so I'll say like, give me some headlines for this um, or episode uh, titles for this podcast episode or whatever. And then I'll take it into there's, I can't remember. It's if you Google emotional headline analyzer, it will, um, it'll bring up this and you could type in, you can put in your, um, your headline and it will score it based on these like emotional kind of oh, like, is this click worthy? Cool. Is this blah, blah, blah. It'll give you a score. 
Um, so you could you could run all you know ten of those headlines through it, pick the one with the best score. Um, so I think that's that's super useful. I think with for taking language and having it analyze it right now, or like you know not taking like real time content like summarize here's a video link and summarize this video link that's that it struggles to do but like right. um but like you were saying write me a clause in this contract uh you know for for this thing. i'm actually like man i should have used that i had a client reach out and was like we'll sign this contract if you just you just need to tweak this one part and i i probably spent 20 minutes figuring out the language yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly that's what happened to me i was like Oh, I could have maybe done, let's try this. And it's like, so I ended up spending 30 minutes on it, but now I've got a way that I can do it next time. Yeah. I usually, I've come from sort of a family of lawyers and I still, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. So I still struggle with it. Um, but yeah. And then some of the other ways that you were mentioning, um, well, tell me how you've used going back to Opus AI. Cause I think that's for this podcast or Opus.clip or whatever. Right. For this podcast, I think that would be a very useful tool for um, content creators and storytellers to learn how to get right. So tell me, have you used it for your podcast? I've not used it for our podcast. We've got a producer that does most of that already for us. But what I've been doing it, I used it for my Inside Higher Ed uh, talk that I gave at George uh, Washington University a couple of weeks ago. I was on the stage with a couple other individuals. We were talking about AI and uh, it was a 30 minute you know, YouTube video. And I knew that it had some really good things in it. And so I just, you know, you can literally just drag and drop the YouTube link into it. And then it just goes and you basically put some parameters around it to say, okay, I want under 30 second clips or I want 30 to 60 second or do it auto. Um, and, and then it will, you know, go through and, and then you can brand it so that you've got your right, you know, text and all of that. I will tell you, it's not perfect. I mean, mm -hmm. when I, when I ran it out, the first one that I published on LinkedIn, you know, I start with the word, um, and that's, you know, yeah. and that's like, okay, that's kind of awkward. It's kind of weird, but you know what? It's good enough. And right. so I put that up and, uh, and it, and it just kind of talked about the ways that I save 10 to 15 hours a week. And each of the, the other two people, the guests also talked about how they are saving their first impressions of it. It was valuable content. It, you know, it, I think I've seen 2,500 views on LinkedIn over the last couple of days from it. And so it's getting some traction on that. And it's one of those things that, you know, it worked out well enough for me. It, it worked out. I have 10 more. I'll probably upload it. And honestly, the first time I ever used YouTube shorts was with that clip and I uploaded it and I've gained a ton of followers and it's the only short that I have on YouTube. Um, but it's one of those things that I'm kind of using it as a test to say, is this something that with this vertical format that I could get, you know, more, more followers, more exposure on, on a channel that I haven't done yet. And mm -hmm. so far I'm like, actually that turned out really well, a lot better than I thought it would. And so, um, you know, I already had some negative comments. I'm like, okay, well that tells me that people are yeah. listening to it. Wow. And That's so, good. um, <laughs> so right now it's, it's a test for me. Um, you know, and I've got a couple schools that, you know, they literally have a half person doing social media and I'm like, Okay, you've you've got chapel every day. Load up some chapels, see what you got. Even if you get two clips out of it, it's worth doing. Exactly. I I had that same conversation uh, with a guest that's coming on. I'm recording this afternoon. Uh, they have a faith based school, and um, I was filming for a project we were working on together. And I'm like, just take. You're recording this whole thing. I was like, just take take that. You could get 20 clips out. They had the um, they had 
what was it like the commu- marketing communications director or something from like the Detroit Pistons or something like that? And he oh, was yeah. coming on talking about like diversity and equity and t- telling stories about how he was like discriminated against at previous jobs. And I'm like, this is super interesting. I'm like, that's all it needs to be. You exactly. Know? <laughs> it's to stop the scroll. And so I, I, a tool like Opus Clip can do that for you. And it's, I mean, it might not be perfect, but it's, if you're not doing anything, it's better than nothing. Right. Well, uh, awesome. This has been great having you here on the show, Bart. Where can people find you at? Probably the best way would be on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm just Bart Kaler. Uh, and so uh, you can find me there. Uh, I publish most of my stuff through my personal account. You can also find Kaler Solutions and Higher Ed Marketer podcast on there as well. Um, I publish a weekly newsletter. We do a weekly blog and a weekly summary of the podcast. And so our website, kaler-solutions.com, probably has around 700 articles right now uh, that have to do with everything from anything in the higher ed communications and marketing space. So you can find a lot of stuff there, but uh, would love to chat with anybody and, and uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and we'll go from there. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks, John. Pleasure to be here. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, three things I want to give you before you go. Number one, reminder to go to pricing.unveiled.tv if you're interested in our subscriptions and download our pricing guide or reach out to me through the contact page of our website, unveiled.tv, uh, if you want to talk about a one-off uh, project. Uh, number two, reminder to sign up for my weekly newsletter uh, for insights on creating deeper emotional impact with your institution's storytelling and content creation efforts. And number three, I would love for you to leave a review for this podcast. It helps me out a ton. Uh, Thanks for listening. My name is John Azzoni. Go connect with me on LinkedIn. In the meantime, we'll catch you on the next episode of the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast. Thanks.